If we're learning something new, or if we're teaching a group of students something new, one of the things that we want to be able to do is collect information about how we're learning, what we're learning, how well we're progressing through different lessons, and how well we're doing it understanding the concepts or developing the skills. And we can take that a step further in something that I call surveillance education. Welcome to the Learning Mindset Podcast. My name is Frank, and today we're going to talk about data collection in the educational process and where some of the pitfalls might be, where some of the benefits might be, and what exactly is surveillance education. So the term surveillance education comes uh, came to me when I was thinking about the idea of surveillance capitalism. Now, uh, full disclosure, I teach business intelligence and data analytics. That's my main job. So I'm kind of immersed in the world of data and how we can use data for decision making. Now, one of the things that I think is really important when I'm teaching this material is to sort of let students know about the ethics behind data collection, making sure that our data collection is done in an ethical manner, transparent manner, and a way that doesn't invade the privacy of those people that we're collecting data from. And this has gotten a lot of press, of course, especially the idea of of surveillance capitalism, where everything we're doing is being tracked. You know, if we go onto a Facebook post, if we go onto an Instagram reel, if we watch a TikTok video, a YouTube short, what we're watching, what we're doing is putting us into a bucket called an audience. And the idea is that that bucket will then be sold by data brokers to attract advertisers that want to sell products to that particular audience. So if you're interested in sports cars, you're going to go on to TikTok, you watch a TikTok video on a sports car, you like it, it's going to feed you another sports car video, it's going to soon determine what your likes are in terms of videos to watch, and you're going to be fed more and more of the information that you're interested in. For many people, that's a great thing. You like sports cars, you're watching TikToks on sports cars. What's happening in the background is you're actually being put into an audience bucket of people that like sports cars. Maybe every so often they find that people who like sports cars also happen to like, um, you know, exotic locations like Monaco or different types of racing. So as it develops an understanding of you as an audience, it's going to then advertise or sell your information to data brokers that will then be able to advertise keychains, sports car models, whatever the case may be. I'm not necessarily a sports car person myself, so I I don't know what sports car people are being marketed, but I certainly get a lot of ads for different educational books because that's part of the audience that I'm in as well. And the term surveillance capitalism is often used to capture this because, you know, the idea is that there's a surveillance component occurring while you're doing some other activity. So the idea is, well, I'm doing one thing, I'm actually having data captured through some other mechanism. And surveillance itself is actually a loaded term. You know, when you think of surveillance, you might think of a more, you know, covert or nefarious way of doing surveillance where the person that is being surveilled doesn't know. And you could say, well, I don't know that I'm being tracked when I'm on the web. You know, it's kind of common knowledge. And definitely, if you read any user agreements that you have before you go onto any website or install software, you'd know. The question is whether you read them or not. And that's a big debate. This, you know, the, the right to privacy, how much of my information is permitted to be surveilled. A good example of that might be, you know, a more overt type of surveillance. If I am in a grocery store parking lot 
and I look and I see cameras in the parking lot. I see lighting in the parking lot. I see a security guard watching me in the parking lot. That might be surveillance that I'm actually comfortable with because I feel safer. I feel like, well, there's somebody watching out for me. There's somebody watching out for what's going on in this environment. That's good surveillance. And if there's surveillance where somebody is following me and collecting information that I would rather keep private, then I would consider that negative surveillance. So the, you know, the term might be loaded and you might have your own feelings of whether it's a good or a bad thing, but surveillance is simply collecting data while I do something. And then what I do with that data is where the ethics come into play. So when it comes to surveillance, you know, surveillance capitalism, that's where it's the consumer habits, the psychology. We try to hook people onto specific, you know, audience profiles. We try to get people watching more of our content. The longer we can keep them on a platform, the more we can understand them as, as an audience member. That's great. But what about when it comes to learning? What about when it comes to education? Should we be using the same techniques that we're using in a commercial world in an educational setting for learning? If you think about it, if somebody enjoys learning about biology, should we develop them as an audience member for biology learning tools and feed them good information in the next lesson within within biology? And in my own master's degree, I did a master's in learning and technology. One of the things that I did for, well, not one of the things, the thing that I did for my master's thesis was the idea of building a data-driven learner-centric dashboard so that learners could go in and they could see what their progression was with their learning objectives and they could receive the next best suggestion of what they should read or watch or do in order to learn more about the subjects that they were interested in. But of course, in order to provide such a data-driven dashboard, you have to have data. It's pretty hard to have a data-driven dashboard without the data. And There are many benefits to doing this type of thing. A good example might be something like a Khan Academy, which is a a website where we can go in order to learn new subjects to find out more information. Now, there's not a commercialization of that data, but there is a surveillance aspect so that if I'm taking certain courses and I go to write one of the quizzes or do one of the exercises, then the feedback that I get is not just here's what you should do next. That has to be based upon some sort of data collection in order to make the right recommendation for me. And it could be something as simple as putting a surveillance timer. So if I'm taking a multiple choice quiz or a written quiz, any question that I pause on for a longer period of time could be construed as being an area that I'm a little more confused about or that I have to put more thought into. And the surveillance comes back and says, well, this question you answered within two seconds, this question took you two minutes. What we need to do is not give you the easy questions, the two second questions. We need to give you a question that might take you a minute. A little bit easier than this one question, a little bit harder than this other question, and then we can feed you the right assessment so that you feel that you have a sense of progression, but you're not over-challenged and you're not under-challenged. That sounds like a great thing to do with education, and there's a lot of positives to that. We can we can imagine these dynamic assessments being something that could really help with student growth and student learning. Now, when we think about that, you know, building on the students' strengths and providing that just-in-time learning, what we can really do is maybe hook people on the concept of lifelong learning. 
because what we're really doing is instead of selling them a product like a keychain or a model kit or whatever the case may, may be for our sports car fan, what we could be doing is we could be selling them on the idea that learning is accessible, learning is something that you can do, and that if we have all of the world of data about what you're doing, that's maybe something that we can use in order to help you on that journey. Now, it does assume that we have your best intentions in mind. It does assume that the educational system and the systems that we build for the collection of the data will be used in an ethical manner. Because there are definitely some concerns around this as well. Is you know, a dark side to some of the surveillance that we have. And I'll give you an example of that. Um, if, if I'm using something like an online platform, something like Microsoft Teams, I can put a tool into Microsoft Teams called Insights. And what the Insights tool will allow me to do is keep track of when students are logging in, how long they're engaging with the team site. I can see things like how often they're posting, reading posts, going into sub forms. This is all a great thing for me as an instructor because I know which students are engaged. I can identify students at risk. Those are benefits. I also can see if students are working late at night. I can see if students are working early in the morning. I can collect a lot of data about my students' interaction with the platform and with the materials that I post on the platform. The question now becomes, how much do I have a right to know? So for example, if I'm in an academic environment and I have a student that comes in and I say the assessment for this course is that you must pass this particular test or you must complete this particular activity to a certain level of expertise. And if somebody does not attend the class and somebody does not participate in the class um, and they can still perform the activity, do I care whether they worked early in the morning, late at night, or participated in the forums? Now, of course, we all have our instructional tricks. And so one of the the most common instructional trick is that we assign a weight or we assign a grade to participation because definitely in terms of a skill set, the ability to participate, work with others, do group work, you know, that's going to be an important objective for almost every educational outcome we have. Um, I could do, well, maybe I will do some episodes on different types of assessments that we have when it comes to learning. But when it comes to understanding what this person is doing on a platform, how deep should I go? And if that computer is owned by the school, should I also be tracking the individual websites that a student is visiting? Is it any of my business? Now, the argument could be made that it's a school computer. It's using school resources, and therefore, I do have a right to know. But what happens when that student's at home? What happens when that, you know, can I track what the student's doing at home? Do I have a right to go in and do a deeper analysis of that person's social media, uh, you know, uh, activities? This, again, you, you think the first thing that comes to my mind is no, no way. That's an invasion of privacy. Then part of me says, well, what if I could identify a student at risk? What if I could identify a student that is, you know, participating in social media activities within the school or using the school's Wi-Fi or, you know, going out to websites that maybe might indicate that that student is a risk to themselves or even a risk to others within the school? At what point do I have a right to know? At what point should I be going and doing this type of surveillance education? 
So you see, there's a continuum here. And this, and, so I, and I apologize if you've been listening to the podcast this long and you're hoping that I'm going to give you an answer. This is more about a mindset and to think about some of these different types of things. I think that if we do things with the student's knowledge and if we do things that promote the student's mental health and well-being and all of those things and the student's aware of that, that there is, in my mind, some ethical grounding towards that. But I'm just one voice. Some other people may say, no, that is absolutely the only thing that you should concern yourself with is how well they do on a test. Unfortunately, some of those activities around the student might be things that we can help them with and and help them be more successful. So there are concerns, right? There are concerns of how far is too far. Certainly the technology will allow us to go probably further then maybe the law or ethics should really allow us to go. We're not doing, you know, it's not, for example, with commercial surveillance or surveillance capitalism, there's an implicit agreement. You know, if you're you're getting free entertainment, you're the product. That's an old saying. We heard that all the time. But there's an expectation, certainly the end loser, user, end, end loser. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe you are the loser in the end if you sign the license agreement. But the end user license agreement is pretty clear that if you're going on to Instagram and you're watching free content, that they're going to track you and sell that to potential advertisers, that you're going to be bucketed into an audience. Students, on the other hand, and those that are learning, probably have a more reasonable expectation of privacy. So we want to make sure that we're not placing these students into a situation where we're learning more about them than they may be willing to share. So that's something to think about. The data collection, that's not the issue. The ethics is probably the biggest issue here. So when we talk about this surveillance education, when we talk about the abilities that we have to collect data about our students, I think this is a topic that needs to be discussed more. I think it needs uh, to be thought about by administration. It needs to be thought about by teachers. And it also needs to be thought about, uh, about by individuals that are going into a learning environment. How much are you comfortable sharing? Uh, to what purpose? What decisions will be made with the data that you're sharing? Are you aware of the data that you're sharing? Are you comfortable with that? I'll go back to the Teams example. If I put a survey up every day and the survey is, how well are you feeling? It's a reflection. So if I say, what, how are you feeling today? Are you sad? Are you happy? And in that particular reflection, I can choose to have that not shared with the class but it's something that only the teacher is going to receive. In that case, if a student goes in there and they're sad, they've, you know, they've kind of agreed to let the instructor know that they're feeling sad. And then I can go in and I can meet with them one-on-one, either remotely or in the case of an in-class environment. I could, you know, say, hey, let's grab a coffee or, you know, come into my office. Let's have a little chat here. You know, a lot of that sort of silent stuff that we could observe in the classroom is lost in a remote environment. So we want to make sure that we have a way of capturing it. Maybe reflection is the way to do that. But also be aware that there may be students that are uncomfortable telling you how they're feeling. They don't want to participate in that survey. And we may have to find other ways to identify if there's if there's ways that we can help them without a data collection in the back end. It's an interesting thing. I was just thinking about it the other day, uh, specifically because I was reading some books on the consumer aspects of 
you know, how we build an audience, how we hook an audience, how we get audiences to participate. And, you know, even the fact that I have a podcast, I mean, there is an element of that here, isn't there? You know, you're not paying for this podcast. Um, I'm not, uh, you know, I don't generate any type of revenue at this point on the podcast, but, you know, I would potentially put in an ad in my podcast for people that are interested in education, or I have links in, in the podcast description for things that will be blunt, collect information on you and say, you're interested in books about education. I'm, and I'm not, I'm transparent about it. Uh, you know, sometimes it's a kind of an implicit statement. I'm being explicitly, I'm saying, look, this is something where if you're listening to this podcast, there is a very good chance that whatever platform you're listening to it on knows that you're interested in the learning mindset. And they may give you another podcast on the flipped classroom or any of the different type of educational podcasts that are out there. I don't think it's a surprise. So sorry if I've ruined anybody's day at the end of the at the end of this episode here. You're like, wait, wait a minute. You know, you're, you're collecting information. I'm not collecting information on you. The platform is, I'm producing content for the platform that's collecting information on you. And I'm also, producing it to, to be, anyways that's the whole commercial end of things so when it comes to surveillance education on the other hand what how far is too far how far can we go where where does the ethical line come into play uh to what point can we use data to make better decisions the good part about data collection the ethical good positive ways that we can help students grow and achieve results by understanding them better because of the data collection and at what point do we go too far these are things that I hope people will think about. I imagine that it's a topic that I'll revisit in some future episodes of the podcast as we start hearing more news stories come out about this, as we start seeing this uh, being used more in the educational field or being you know, something that we need to discuss in education. Something that uh, definitely, if we were sitting down for a cup of coffee, I would absolutely want to hear your thoughts on it. You can visit the Learning Mindset uh, website. So I have a blog there. I don't put too much on the blog there. Or if you go to my if you go to my YouTube channel, if you go to the community tab, so my YouTube channel is Learning and Technology with Frank. Just go to the YouTube uh, community channel for that for community tab for that channel, and you know you can post in there as well any ideas that you might have. Just say, hey man, I was listening to the podcast and I, the surveillance education caught my attention. Here's some thoughts I have on that. Maybe we can get some discussions going. Meanwhile, I hope that I've given you something to think about, and we'll see you in the next, we won't see you, we'll talk to you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to see some of my YouTube videos, check out my channel, Learning and Technology with Frank on YouTube, or check out my blog posts at www.franksclass.ca.